0: Celebrating the sounds of Memphis for 21 years, welcome to another episode of Bill Street Caravan. Heard around the globe on NPR worldwide,
1: major funding for Bill Street Caravan is provided by the AutoZone Corporation. AutoZone, parts are just part of what we do.
0: Hi, I'm your co-host, Pat Mitchell-Whirley.
1: And I'm Kevin Cubbins.
0: This week on Bill Street Caravan, we have a performance from the Love Light Orchestra.
1: Bill Street Caravan contributor William Lee Ellis will also be joining us to discuss the deep connections between religion
0: and the blues. That's all coming up right now on Bill Street Caravan. Hey, Pat. Hey, Kevin. Let's tell our listeners about the Love Light Orchestra, shall we? At this point in time, you can't catch this band live unless you live in Memphis, Tennessee, and you can't buy their record because there isn't one.
1: Not yet, anyway. The Love Light Orchestra is the brainchild of Memphis musicians Joe Restivo and Mark Franklin, guitar and trumpet
0: respectively, and recent Memphis transplant, John Namath, singer extraordinaire. None of these guys are strangers to our audience. Joe has performed on the program with groups like the City Champs, the Bow Keys, and you can catch him these days playing guitar for Shannon McNally. Mark is a member of the Bow Keys as well and has spent a couple of years in the Greg Almond Band.
1: These three musicians came together due to their love and appreciation for the old school Beale Street sound, the sophisticated big band jazz approach preferred
0: by a group of musicians that became known as the Beale Streeters. B.B. King, Earl Forrest Johnny Ace, and in particular, the one and only Bobby Blue Bland. The guys had
1: no problem finding other musicians that were into the idea, and the Lovelight Orchestra was born. A one-off gig turned into an encore performance and Bill Street Caravan was happy to be there to capture
0: it. Here's the Love Light Orchestra live on Bill Street Caravan.
2: How y'all doing tonight? Yeah, y'all here for the Love Light Orchestra, this is the Love Light Orchestra for you. We got a very, very special guest entertainer tonight. I want y'all to give it up for Mr. John Naiman. Mr. John Naiman, ladies and gentlemen.
3: and slow. The last hand I caught for aces and the police broke down the door. Yeah. Oh, my baby's driving me mad. Well, she's always accusing me of someone I ain't never had. I got home this morning. She was looking kind of funny. She said, don't come in here, daddy, unless you've got some I said, hold right. on. She looked at me like a fool She said I'm playing checkers daddy and I Get a no.
0: You're listening to the Sounds of Memphis on Bill Street Caravan.
1: Here's more from the Love Light Orchestra live on Bill Street Caravan.
3: to be mine alone I need to find a woman that's going to be mine alone I'm begging you baby, begging you please I'm begging you baby, begging you please Turn on the light, let it shine on me Turn on your love light, let it shine on me Let it shine, 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 let it shine
2: December 8th, right here, here in Lafayette, look for it, December 8th, we'll be back, take care.
0: You're listening to the Love Light Orchestra live on Bill Street Caravan.
1: We'll be right back with more music, but first we're going to turn it over to Bill Street Caravan contributor William Lee Ellis as he explores the deep connections between religion and the blues.
4: Well,
5: Long before WC Handy was anointed father of the blues and likewise Thomas Dorsey the father of gospel, The two sides of the African-American musical experience, the secular and the sacred, were busy checking each other out. American black music, in fact, has parked at a crossroads between these philosophical points of view ever since the first Africans were forcibly taken from their homeland centuries ago. In America, they quickly renegotiated former beliefs, adapting to their new circumstances with a cultural vitality and even duality of intent that still defines much black music to this day. In the New World, displaced Africans shed, outwardly at least, their motherland beliefs and religions, embracing instead the faith of their captors, Christianity. For slaves and descendants of a slave population, it became both a survival strategy as well as earnest acceptance of a good book that promised freedom for the captive and justice for the righteous. The first African-American church, in fact, was established in protest to segregationist practices as early as the 1790s in Philadelphia, the Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church. Nonetheless, many attitudes about secular music were the result of the black church taking on the moral cloak of the Great Awakening and white evangelicals. In Africa, religious beliefs would have allowed and even welcomed the coexistence of spiritual and moral ambiguities. For example, a West African god such as Legba was more than mere trickster, but a deity that stood as gatekeeper between the physical and spiritual worlds, the symbolic unifier of opposites. In the New World, however, many African-American churches accepted not only Western tenets of Christian worship and practice, but moral attitudes as well, such as the forbidding of dancing and performance of music, especially the secular kind. From the fiddle to the guitar, certain instruments, as a result, became associated with the devil, as in this song, a harmonica version of the fiddle standard, Devil in the Woodpile" by the great Noah Lewis, from 1929. ¶¶ Black Americans also borrowed a good deal from the musical side of white religious practice, notably through the exchange that took place at camp meetings, as well as the British tradition of lining out hymns. Yet slaves found ways to hold on to older customs. Among these was the ring shout, an ecstatic form of worship with retentions of West African dance and rhythm patterns. By the time of Reconstruction, spirituals, itself an amalgam of African and Anglo sources, became the first example of a popular black music as practiced by black performers. This, as opposed to the degrading minstrel stereotypes of white performers and blackface who, earlier in the century, had largely introduced black music to the white mainstream. The Fisk University Jubilee singers were arguably the most famous group to popularize the spiritual, traveling the world with their harmonized arrangements of an enslaved past. Here is a later edition of the group the Fisk University Jubilee Quartet from 1911, singing Poe Moner Got a Home at Last. When blues began to form in the decades, between 1890 and 1910, the same time that ragtime, jazz, and gospel as genres were all taking shape, It took not only from the secular side, the field hollers, bad man ballads, and string band music of the 19th century, but from the sacred as well, most notably in the rhythmic lilt, patter, and delivery of African-American preaching, but more about that next week. Certain traits we think of as being either sacred or secular in black musical traditions, call and response in the former, blues notes in the latter, are in fact two of many shared qualities as handed down from African ancestry. And we should further note that the continent of Africa itself has undergone centuries of acculturation, but that's another story. Let's end this episode, then, with a comparative listen to some of these traits. Pan-African to Pan-African-American, from the overlapping call-and-response roles of a lead singer and chorus, to the bluesy and non-Western tones of the melodies and scales, to the use of riff-like repetition as a building block. First, by a Nigerian group performing a dance song. Then by Elder Charles Beck and his congregation rocking to Gabriel. And finally, in the form of contemporary rapper Kanye West performing his secular gospel hit, Jesus Walks.
0: We want to remind our listeners you can find Bill Street Caravan on all the social media outlets.
1: Go to our website at BillStreetCaravan.com and sign up for our monthly newsletter to find
0: out where the caravan is going to be next. You can also keep up with Bill Street Caravan via our podcast that's available through iTunes.
1: We have to take a quick break for local announcements, but stick around. There's a lot more music to come.
0: You're listening to the sounds of Memphis on Bill Street Caravan. AutoZone is proud to support Bill Street Caravan and other arts organizations that strengthen the greater Memphis community. Parts are just part of what we do. AutoZone.com. Bill Street Caravan is also supported by awards from the Memphis Convention and Visitors
1: Bureau, the Tennessee Arts Commission, Arts Memphis, and Tennessee Tourism. TennesseeVacation.com. The soundtrack of America was made in Tennessee.
0: We're back, and for those of you just tuning in, this week on Beale Street Caravan, we have with us the Lovelight Orchestra. It's a musical tribute to the original Beale Streeters, Bobby Blue Bland,
1: B.B. King, and Johnny Ace, and it features Memphis musicians Joe Restivo, Mark Franklin, and
6: John Namath.
0: We sat down with the guys in the band to learn more about their appreciation of the music and how it brought them together for this unique project.
6: We all play in different bands together, and... I think we all had a love for this kind of music, and we're like, man, wouldn't it be great if we could just put a band together that played this kind of music? Yeah. And then we just we said that for about a year, uh-huh. and then we finally just said, let's do it now. I had some time off. John had some time off from traveling. Well, we, so we, we had
2: been, yeah, me and Mark had been talking about doing like a 50s blues sort of large horn band type project. And then I saw John at a gig and he was like, "Hey, man, we got to do something." I, you know, he had an idea to do a Jimmy Witherspoon kind of project. Jimmy Witherspoon was this great blues, and we haven't done each other, Jimmy Witherspoon yet. But he—he he was a blues artist that used a lot of like jazz musicians. And I was like, "Well," I was like, "Actually, me and Mark are talking about doing this." He goes, "Okay, let's do that." <laughs> so, it just was—it was literally like we were kind of all thinking about the same sort of era of music, you know, of what we're doing, which is you know Bobby Bland, early BB junior Parker and doing it right you know really spending time and like learning the arrangements and crafting some new ones and 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 putting in this huge 10 piece act together and presenting it to people that probably have never heard that music live like that I mean there's really not many places you can hear that kind of act
1: anymore so that's how it started you just mentioned how important it was to quote do it right what yeah. does that entail what does
2: Um, I think it's the little details of how those artists crafted that music. I mean, a lot of the music we're doing is sort of Duke era or Duke Records era stuff. And like you can hear like and say Bobby Bland's Two Steps from the Blues. Like these were professional studio musicians that came from, you know, this was still like the early 50s where they were kind of coming from the big band era and like there's arrangements, there's crafting. It's like, it's not head charts per se. It's not like, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's great too. But it was like, it wasn't just some guys got in a room and just started kind of jamming. It was like, these were like arranged, crafted pieces of music, but it was the blues too. So it was like, it was an urbane or urban version of, they wanted to do kind of an uptown dressed up version of what they were hearing on Beale Street, and, or in the country even. And that's how you get to those, those records.
1: And a lot of these songs and arrangements, I would imagine, started out on paper. Possibly. Because they were these oh, extremely
6: sure. educated jazz musicians. For sure. yeah. Especially with Joe Scott, who was the arranger for almost all the Duke stuff. He played trumpet on all the Bobby Bland records. He did all the arrangement. He had hands in songwriting and production. I mean, he had a vision of what the song was going to be before they even got to the studio. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, well, hey, let's see what happens. It was like, right. I want this to happen. Exactly. And both of you have played with
2: Bobby, right? He was in his band. Okay, so am very jealous of. So, so Mark, <laughs> you
1: played with Bobby Blue Bland. Did you ever get to meet some of these older musicians that have been with him since back in
6: the day? Yeah, um, a couple of the guys have been in the band since the '70s. There was uh, the bass player at the end was actually with him. In, in the 60s, so they had all kinds of stories. It was a real educational experience, not just musically, but like traveling, mm-hmm. you know, don't put all your money in your wallet. And-
2: yeah, because I would hear the stories
6: when he was in that band of all the
2: road, the road like Chilton Circuit Road stories. And it was, wow. I think, yeah, I think Mark got more, like you just said, like more of an education from just from life education. Yeah, you know, I yeah. I got, you know, Charlton Johnson, who was a guitar player when Mark was in the band Who's and a good friend of mine and a former teacher of mine, Called me once. He was like, "Hey man, I might need you to sub for some Bobby Bland dates." And I was like, "Oh God, please!" And it never happened. But I did get to play with him once on a concert and uh, at the Shell, and it was like a career highlight. Wow! You know? And I'm so jealous because, like, you wait, you did this every night, because he was so dynamic and amazing. And then this was towards the end of his life, and he it was just like this presence. It was like, oh my God, one of my favorite singers, or one of the greatest singers, and I think probably the greatest blues singer ever. Mm-hmm. And I'm playing Stormy Monday with them, like I couldn't believe it. And
1: Mark's like, oh yeah, we we do that all the time, you know, whatever. (laughs) So. Did uh, did y'all have a hard time fleshing out the band? Like how did y'all approach that? No, actually really really easy, easy, yeah. yeah. Uh,
2: Mark took care of the horns, I took care of the rhythm section, we just split up duties that way. And of course we had John already on board. Mm -hmm. He was on the road and we were just texting. It was almost like trading baseball cards. It was like, all right, I want this song. Okay, I'll give you that song if you do this. Like, that's how we did it. <laughs> so we we picked songs and then came up with a 21 song
1: repertoire. It Sounds like everyone was, like, passionate about it. It, it
2: was and, the easiest oh, yeah. thing. I mean, and we've done, you know, we've all done projects. You've done projects. And it's like sometimes it's just like you run into those snafus or, like, Maybe one person's not quite into it as much, or they're scheduling, and it's like, yeah. this thing kind of really was pretty smooth, considering the amount of people in the band. It's a 10-piece band. The rhythm section, and they were all,
6: yeah, let's do it. And I was like, oh, there's no money in this. Okay, we're in. And and, yeah, and know, everybody's up for doing you know, something different. All right, we're not playing Brickhouse today. <laughs>
2: yeah, right. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> Well, and I mean, I, I don't want to speak for Mark, but I would think as a horn player to play in a larger ensemble is kind of like, I mean, these guys come up playing in big ensembles mm-hmm. as, as kids and like, and playing oh, in big yeah. bands and stuff and mm-hmm. like, but generally speaking, Mark plays in like a two piece, you know, tenor, mm-hmm. tenor trumpet. Memphis style sort of. Yeah. And this is a five piece with like actual weight,
1: mm-hmm. you know, to it. So. Amazing. I mean, when I first like heard the rumors that y'all were doing this and I thought, that's the greatest idea I have ever heard. Why hasn't this been done before?
6: Outside of economics. I mean, is it just hard to pull something out? It's economics, yeah, true, yeah. And you know, stages aren't always big enough for- Logistics, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, no, that's been an issue with us, is just figuring out where we can put the thing physically. I also think maybe too that it was a very different musical environment. It's It's like, man, it wasn't, Guitar players. It was saxophone players. That mm-hmm. was the hot instrument. You didn't have amplification. You didn't have right, right. Great point. You didn't have huge amplifiers, and you're not just getting your like face ripped off. I mean, that stuff's great too, and that's what I came up listening to. But that was all a product of the late '60s. Mm-hmm. We're looking at what's happening in you know in Memphis in like like '56.
1: So the response locally has been extremely positive, and the performance we're airing is just y'all second show.
2: Right. Right.
1: So this is probably presumptuous, but what's next?
2: We have some other dates, but we want to record. I mean, we want to yeah. document this. So we're, cool. that's that's why we're doing this. And you're very kind to have us on and um, doing some future shows. And do, we've done some video, and we're going to try to put together a, a package for somebody or, you know, whoever out there would maybe want to record this and, and put this on a label or what have you. If not, we're just going to, you know, we were, me and Mark were talking like we'll just do it ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. we were thinking about doing a single even maybe. But this thing is, is too cool to not be documented. And, and the other thing is, um, our, our buddy John is is super on board. You know, he's touring cool. a lot with his own project, but he is like, he's texting me all the time, like, oh, we should do this song, and maybe we could do that, and we should do this festival. And, you know, so I think it would be a great festival act. I think it would be a great record. Mm-hmm. And we have, we have a ton of ideas, you know, original song ideas. Because right now we're just kind of like investigating, you know, a body of work. Mm-hmm and we're sticking pretty close to the hilt with
1: the genre but we might play around with it a little bit so cool here's more from the love light orchestra live on beale street caravan
3: woke up this morning and i looked around thought about my baby and laid back down Heads in a spin. Why in the devil won't she let me in? Crazy, crazy. Losing my mind about this little love, this little love of mine. Been acting kind of funny ever since you first met. The love bugs hit me and I'm all upset Laying here gazing at the stars above Why in the devil did I fall in love Crazy, oh crazy Losing my mind about this little love a cat on a hot tin roof hollering like a wolf in the middle of the night I am the devil It just won't treat me right Spend all my money Walk the streets all night So look over yonder's wall And me down my walking day day I first met you Your promises proved to be untrue So step by step I've been a fool Now I'm just two steps from the blue The reason we didn't get along was telegrams and telephones. One brings bad news, the other rendezvous. That keeps me two steps from the blue. A chance. try to make amends And if we should fail let's try and try again For it makes no difference what you say or do I'm so forgiving Two steps from the blues Two steps from the blues
0: You're listening to the Sounds of Memphis on Beale Street Caravan.
1: Here's more from the Love Light Orchestra live on Beale Street Caravan.
3: Mama, you taught me about the bees and the birds. Mama, you taught me the meaning of a lot of words. That's what? What about love? Mama, you taught me how to be real strong. Mama, you taught me the right things for the wrong. That's what, Mama, yeah, I've got to know. Mama, Mama, what about love? makes us feel so good. Here's a BB King tune. A song called Ruby Lee.
1: That was the Love Light Orchestra live on Beale Street Caravan.
0: I wish we could tell you how to catch them live or where to find them on the internet, but the Love Light Orchestra is just a side project for now. Like we mentioned earlier, you can catch any of these guys around town in Memphis in various bands.
1: Joe plays with the Bow Keys, the Joe Restivo 4, and Shannon McNally.
0: Mark is on the road with Greg Allman. And multiple Blues Music Award winner John Nemeth. Well, he's one of the hardest working men in show business. You can find his tour dates at johnnemeth.com. And another thing to consider, if you enjoyed today's program, just go back to the source material. All that Bobby Blue Bland, Johnny Ace, B.B. King, you can find those original Bill Streeters all over the internet. Special thanks to our supporters, AutoZone, the Memphis Convention and Visitors Bureau, Arts Memphis, the Tennessee Arts Commission, Tennessee Tourism, and Bridging the Blues for their support in making Bill Street Caravan possible.
1: We like to remind our listeners to please show your support for public broadcasting. You're just not going to find a programming like this anywhere else.
0: We want to remind our listeners that you can find Bill Street Caravan on all the social media outlets. Do you love Memphis music? Tell us why and use hashtag iListenToMemphis or keep up with us on our podcast at iTunes.
1: Visit our website at BillStreetcaravan.com to sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can find out where the caravan's gonna be
0: next. And if you can't meet us there, we'll be back right here next week. So we'll see you then. I'm Pat Mitchell Worley.
1: And I'm Kevin Cubbins.
0: You've been listening to the sounds of Memphis on Bill Street Caravan.